Today I welcome Stuart Gully, President of Woodward Academy in Atlanta. In this episode, I discuss thinking big, embedding moral values in education, measuring success, and leading from the front. I read the vision statement on your website, Woodward will be the national model in education. That's a big vision. Where did it come from? Well, about five years ago, the senior team and I, along with others here at Woodward and our governing board were uh, sort of assessing uh, what we wanted to articulate about uh, the goal that we were working toward. And one of the things that we were mindful of is that uh, in part because of our size and scope, um, for your listeners, I don't know how much they'll know about our institution, but we're one of the largest independent schools in the United States. We have uh, about 2,500 students, 650 employees, $75 million operating budget. So we're a fairly large and complex uh, educational effort uh, for independent schools, at least. And um, one of the things that, uh, and we've been around since 1900. Uh, so uh, part, part of our uniqueness is, is that we weren't just founded in the mid 20th century, we were founded at the very beginning of the 20th century uh, as a military academy called uh, Georgia Military Academy. And in the mid 60s, we abandoned military education in favor of college preparation, took the name of our founder, Colonel John Woodward. Um, and so today we operate out of five different schools from pre-K through 12th grade. Um, and, uh, and in our effort over the last 120 years, you know, we feel like we've gotten a few things figured out about how to educate students. And I think others recognize that as well. And so there's hardly a week, uh, sometimes not even a day that doesn't go by that we don't have somebody from the independent school world reaching out to us and saying, can you tell us how you do X, Y, or Z? And uh, we felt like that um, we are being viewed as a model. And so why not uh, put it, uh, as our vision that we will be the national model for uh, all of independent education in all the facets of how we operate, uh, both in terms of the uh, academics as well as the co-curricular offerings that we have um, and just in our general operation in terms of finances and HR and uh, raising of money and recruiting of students. We also have a bus company and so how we run our bus company to transport 600 students to Woodward every day. Um, and, and how much of that is also tied towards um, looking at what the future of work requires, you know, and education has to adapt to ensure that the students that you're stewarding through Woodward actually go out there and really make a difference because, you know, I, I would challenge a lot of education that it, is, it isn't fit for purpose or relevant now um, because we're constrained by the educational models that, that maybe do exist that you can't unhinge ourselves from. Does Woodward decide you? Are you able to be nimble to adapt and, and look at those kind of those future ambitions of what your students may do? Well, we've certainly proven to ourselves that we're more nimble than we thought we were uh, about almost a year ago to the day when uh, COVID was making its appearance here in the United States and the whole country was just beginning to shut down. Um, I was very anxious about how we would manage as an institution not being in person and having to go entirely remote in terms of the offering of education. And if you had told me that we would be doing it 
not just for a week or two weeks, but for the rest of the school year, I would have said it can't be done and it will never happen. Uh, but as a real credit to our faculty and to their technological abilities and innovations, literally within the period of a Thursday to a Tuesday, we were able to pivot from in-classroom instruction to entirely online instruction. And uh, so now we feel like we have learned some things about our flexibility and nimbleness and the use of technology and the delivery of education that uh, we will keep with us post-pandemic whenever that time arrives. Um, that said, uh, I think there is a real tension, at least in American education, particularly at schools like Woodward, where our primary purpose is college preparation. So we're preparing our students and our families are spending uh, significant dollars to send their kids to us because they want their children to go to a college or a university. And there are not many colleges or, and universities in our country at the moment that are, I would describe as non-traditional or really contemporary in the way they're doing education. So their way of assessing student ability and admissibility to their institutions is through traditional formats of grade point averages, courses taken, test scores that uh, are by third party vendors like the SAT and the ACT. Uh, and so for schools like Woodward to be particularly innovative in the educational offerings up against what we're preparing our students for and the expectations at those colleges and universities is a real challenge. <clears throat> but we, our, we do through our curriculum, particularly our, our STEAM efforts of um, trying to, with engineering and robotics and arts, uh, trying to produce a student that is well-rounded as possible uh, with as many uh, varieties of academic opportunities as we possibly can do to try to be on the cutting edge for our students. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned college prep. Um, it's matriculation, is it? Yeah, I, again, this is this is an English guy. Yeah, you know, asking what 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 the term is again because you hear you know I'm, I'm pretty sure it's matriculation. Um, right. But I mean, do, do you believe that the, the, the that whole process needs to be reviewed itself? Because as you say, you know, you, you can't you can do certain amount of preparing them so they are really focused that they have the the right value set, character, the right broad education that they challenge things. But ultimately, you're still having to get students to kind of hit scores right. that is an entry point. Is, is the whole matriculation process and college entry outdated and does that need to be revisited in your yeah. view? I think a lot of people would argue uh, that indeed it is. The challenge is how do you go about uh, addressing it in a holistic way? There are 4,000 colleges and universities in the United States. Now, admittedly, it's dominated by about 100 that are truly highly selective, uh, that sort of set the standard for how the other 3,900 colleges and universities uh, uh, operate and what they aspire to be. Um, but uh, until the, the higher ed model uh, attempts to revise itself, uh, it's going to be more difficult for independent schools to be particularly innovative and creative. Now, I do think that the pandemic um, has created uh, a moment for 
there to be sort of a new beginning for uh, education, both at the secondary level as well as the higher education level. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what comes out of this uh, on the other side of the pandemic. And I do think there will be some changes uh, that will be to the benefit of the educational experience of students at both levels. Yeah, agreed. And the, the kind of the, the view of universities, I think employers view them differently now. And I think there is, even in the UK and other parts of the world, it's, it's an outdated model. And it's, you know, we're questioning, you know, do you need to go to university? I mean, you look at probably some of the most successful um, uh, entrepreneurs that, that have founded sort of Silicon Valley and some yeah. of the biggest businesses that, are, that, that dominate the world, they all kind of left university. So right. um, it kind of questions, again, are, are, are we chasing a, a false end that is really not going to benefit or is it, is it really something that we can shift and change They can benefit from being at a, an, at a higher education institution that helps them grow so they can actually make a bigger impact on the world? It's a conversation for another time. Yeah. I want to go back to your educational model. How do you measure success? Yeah, that's uh, when we uh, developed this vision statement, that was the number one question that everyone had. And it's probably the most difficult question to answer um, because there's not any metric out there. There's um, in the United States, there's a, a magazine called US News and World Report that ranks colleges and universities. And uh, you, that, that top 100 that I mentioned earlier, you can pretty much know that they're going to rank every year and where they're going to rank, but there's not a similar thing that, that ranks the uh, independent uh, schools in the United States. So, uh, and thankfully so, because I think that what has happened in higher ed is that so many of them have now played to the ranking system that U.S. News and World Report employs uh, to the detriment of the overall educational experience of students. Um, so my response has sort of been, well, we'll know it when we see it. Uh, we'll, we'll know, you know, when more and more uh, educational institutions, other independent schools continue to come to us to ask for advice and counsel about what we're doing. Uh, and, uh, and, and maybe most significantly is in the placement of our students, where they actually end up going to college and university, and what they tell us after they've graduated from college and university about how well they have done there and how well we prepared them for that experience. So one of the things we talk about is how, how do we tap our alumni five to 10 years after they graduated from Woodward for them to tell us about how well they feel Woodward has prepared them for, for wherever they are in life right now. So that will be an important metric for us. Yeah, and it is, it's those touch points because it's, you know, particularly if you have a vision, you have values, you have this mission that, that you buy into, everyone has to buy into it and you all have to, A, believe it, you have to show it too. Right. And I suppose, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a great sport of models. I like frameworks and methodologies because they, they give construct to, to efficiencies, but it doesn't mean that you alienate the individual. Part of it is, is you have freedom to go, how can I get my identity in here? How does that drive? And every school is different because of you, the place, the kids, the teachers, the things right. that you do. And that, that's, that, that's so important to be able to tell your unique story. It then obviously over time that will build up and you can show it, as you say, by connecting your alumni um, to say, look, this is what we, we did at Woodward. And now look at them. Actually, right. everything that they, we, we instilled here, 
we can see them in action now. Um, but you're right, sometimes results take time, um, but it changes so quickly. So it, it, for a large organization to be as nimble as you are is, is, is real testament to, to some of your vision and direction. Setting a big goal relies on significant period of introspection first. How should schools critically evaluate its strengths and weaknesses? Well, typically in an independent school like uh, Woodward, where the families are paying fairly significant sums uh, to send their children to us, we don't lack for feedback about how well we're doing. Uh, when something doesn't go right or they wish we would do something differently, um, our parents and students are, are pretty uh, adept at letting us know what they think. But that said, there are formal structures that we put into place where we seek feedback from parents and students as well as our own faculty and employees about what we are doing, uh, what we could do differently, uh, what ideas they might have about uh, areas that we uh, focus energies on that we aren't at the moment. Um, so uh, I think being open to uh, the feedback of your community and uh, being intentional about seeking that feedback is probably the most significant thing that we can do in terms of uh, understanding uh, our mission and, and how well we're leading into our vision. Yeah, and a difficulty is with, with any organization is accepting weaknesses or there are flaws, but part of being able to grow as a person and an organization is to be able to identify weaknesses, be very honest, authentic, and transparent about them and say, look, we recognize this. We're very good over here, but we recognize that we're not good here. And then to put in a plan, should more schools advertise their weaknesses? Um, you know, I, I, in America, at least, it doesn't really help to lead with what your weakness is uh, because we're so uh, focused on uh, all the things that we think we do right and well. But I do think that a healthy school is one that is willing to at least acknowledge that it's got areas to grow and improve. Um, in addition to the COVID response that all of our schools had to go through this past year, uh, there was also, as, as you all, your listeners may be aware, a real racial reckoning that was visited upon our country uh, last summer, and uh, many independent schools, Woodward included, did not escape. Uh, through Instagram, there were accounts that were created uh, called Black At, and in our case, it was Black At Woodward, where uh, Black students and students of color, either current or former students, were invited anonymously to share about their uh, experiences at their institutions. And uh, there were some very uh, horrific, troubling, challenging uh, experiences that were revealed in these Instagram accounts. And um, we decided at Woodward that we were going to own it, that we were, we were going to be very uh, upfront, that we apologize for the experiences, that we can't change what happened in the past, but that we are committed to a better future, that we are learning through what has been shared with us, and we are uh, committed to racial equity for all of our students. And, and identified specific things that we are doing in that regard, and that it's not something that we can just say we're going to do, but that we are reporting on it on a regular basis about what we're trying to do to improve as an institution. <clears throat> and I think our willingness uh, to be upfront about that and to own it 
uh, has gained us a great deal of um, support from um, all sectors of our community uh, who really want us to be successful in this effort and who are giving us the benefit of the doubt and are supporting us. This is opposed to some other independent schools that did not embrace it and they are experiencing a great deal of tension in their communities right now. That's not to say we don't have tension either, but um, I'm, I'm proud of the way that we have handled it in a manner that, that we, we claim this as an area of growth for us and an opportunity uh, and a way for us to live into being a national model in independent yeah. education. And I, th I think, I mean, tensions are, are normal in society. And I think to, to, to exclude yourself from any tension in, in an educational setting is wrong because we, we also have to showcase to our students that, that things, bad things have happened, that maybe we haven't done the right thing in the past. But as you said, we can't change the past. But what you can do is change and help to affect how we move forward. Right. Um, and that's and that's been great, and and that impact of George Floyd has been seen around the world. We've seen it here across our schools. We've seen it here across our universities. Uh, we've seen it as you know, going as far as Australia. It, it it's had a massive impact, mm -hmm. and it's and it's raised some very important topics. I've talked about in other podcasts around equality, um, about unconscious bias, real bias, um, and and it's something that we need to be talking about and talking about with our younger our younger kids. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Woodward is a large, renowned school. Does that bring extra pressure to be the best? Does size matter? Well, one of the benefits of size is that you can do things that maybe a smaller school could not do in terms of the variety of offerings that you uh, provide students. Uh, very few independent schools, uh, for example, can have a marching band. We have a marching band. Uh, <clears throat> we have a very uh, elaborate arts program and have a course in jewelry making, for example. A smaller school, it would be difficult probably to have a course in jewelry making or uh, a student who starts here in kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. If they are interested in dance, they can take dance every year. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's, I think, a benefit of size is the, the variety of uh, offerings. Um, but but size also has uh, its own tensions that that come with it because you can be seen as less personal. Uh, and more uh, focused on uh, uh, the big picture in a way that maybe an individual student would get lost or a family might feel that way. So we constantly talk here about how do we make a big school feel small uh, so that everyone here for the money they're paying and for what they feel like they're buying from us in terms of our mission feels like that they are getting the intention and focus that, that they uh, need uh, in order to uh, get the experience uh, that will prepare them for college and life. Uh, running a school of this size, has that affected your leadership style? Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, certainly. Uh, if you are uh, tempted to be a micromanager, you would not survive in this job. Uh, there, this is really a time when you have to trust your the people with whom you have surrounded yourself 
uh, even down to the bus driver and the people who clean the facilities, that, that they are skilled and qualified and able to do what they are tasked with doing and that you can't constantly be looking over your shoulder or their shoulder in terms of, of what they're doing, but trust that you have put into place a system where they understand the mission and vision and what their particular role is and uh, set them free to do it. Uh, so um, I, I do think that um, this, uh, the size of Woodward really kind of plays to my strengths as a leader because I'm more inclined anyway to really surround myself with people who know more about what they're doing than I do. Uh, I'm really more of a generalist anyway. I'm, I'm not a real expert at finance or raising money or recruiting students or a particular kind of curriculum to be taught in a classroom. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I know how to pick people who are smarter than I am in those areas and empower them to do the work. And that is one of the, uh, the hallmarks of a great leader is to never be the smartest person in the room. Right. Um, right. Because, you know, the, it, it, it's, there's only one way and you have to end up doing everything. Um, I, I think other schools of your size around the world, they have CEOs. I mean, was there ever talk about changing the title? Is that something that a school like yours would, would take on? Well, <clears throat> in independent education, Typically, the CEO of the institution is called the head or headmaster. Uh, I think we derived that term terminology from England, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we have taken the master part out for the most part and just call ourselves heads. But Woodward, in its size and scope and operation, is much like a small private liberal arts college. And so my title is president and not head to kind of reflect the complexity uh, that exists here. It would be unusual for an independent school, even a higher education institution, for the president or head to describe him or herself as the CEO. They are the CEO. Yeah. To say that they are the CEO would, would be unusually unusual. The, the terminology would be more president or chancellor. Yeah. You believe that schools should be about building a moral community concerned with advancing the common good. Tell me about this and how you develop this outlook. Well, I often say here, if we, uh, if, if we feel like our only task is to prepare kids for admission to college and for them to graduate from college, then we uh, are failing uh, our history as a, an institution and we're failing our students that as important as the education of the head is also the education of the heart. And that uh, our goal should be to try to combine the two in a way that we are preparing moral leaders. We talk about educating uh, critical thinkers and ethical problem solvers. And uh, if anything, the last year has taught us with COVID, racial uh, equity, uh, economic challenges, is that our world desperately needs people who have a good dose of both in them, um, particularly the ability to examine the world through the lens of someone different from themselves. And, uh, and one of the richnesses of a Woodward education is that we're a very diverse institution. We have a wide range of learning styles. Our students come from a wide range of the community of Atlanta, but we also have a wide range of students of color uh, in terms of gender, as well as in uh, terms of uh, religious background. 
And so there is the opportunity at Woodward for all of us, whatever our background, to acknowledge, as you were suggesting earlier, the kind of privilege that we have, but also the bias with which we operate because of our background and to try to understand the world through the lens of someone different from us. And I think in doing that then, we do prepare young people to be the kind of moral leaders that we need so that we're doing what I described of David Brooks's book, The Road to Character. We're not just focusing on the resume, we're also focusing on the eulogy and helping to prepare our students. And so that's what we mean when we talk about a moral community of, of scholars. Yeah, and do you, and do you think um, the the kind of the, the barrier or the, um, let, let me phrase this, do you think that the, the idea about morality has, has changed from a generation, you know, from generation to generation in terms of what their moral beliefs are because of social media, because of other things, you know, what, what is acceptable from, 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 from what we had growing up. Do you think it's changed because of technology and what the kids are seeing now? Well, there's no doubt that uh, technology and social media have sort of um, accelerated um, the exposure of students to um, the more unsavory parts of life <clears throat> that it would have taken my generation longer to have experienced and to develop a sense of how we would respond. I think also there has been a, a breakdown in the foundations on which people develop their moral value system. So that the church, for example, religion generally uh, is not viewed with the kind of uh, influence in American culture, at least, that it once had in determining one's values and character. But I do think at base, we can all agree, whatever our background, whatever our religious tradition, even if we have none, is that there are basic uh, issues of justice and fairness and uh, concern for our fellow human beings that we should embrace. And uh, that everyone is accorded the right to be treated with respect and dignity. Uh, and, and that really shouldn't be up for debate. And so if you at least agree with that premise, then I think the conversation about how I see the world, how you see the world, and, and helping each other understanding why we might see the world differently and what we can do to support one another and not attack one another in that perspective um, is really what I think is a part of our goal here. Yeah, well said. And uh, I often say that communities thrive on positivity. I don't know anybody on the planet who likes to be, you know, how to go at, you know, negative things. I just don't know. It's not a, right. it's not very human. So I think, you know, sharing positive experiences, you talk about common good, these are great um, viewpoints and visions. And if we can develop character value sets in the younger generation, um, we are going to have these great adults that are going to change because they are more interested in the world. You know, the, the, the teenagers I speak to, even some of the ones who are in the, um, in the prep side are really taking an interest in the world around them about fairness and I think that, that that that's such an exciting time to think that they're looking at fairness and going is this fair is this yeah. right how's this going to impact me 
Um, we just got to make sure we don't let them down as the adults who are currently exactly. in charge of this ship. Exactly. Um, do it, question about obviously uh, independent schools. Do exclusive high profile schools such as Woodward have an additional responsibility to teach students about the world around them and to do more community outreach so that other people can have an access to, you know, it's a privileged education and independent education. Well, certainly I believe that uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, we talk in this country about uh, private education having a public good. What, what is our public good uh, in our work as uh, in the independent sector? And so, uh, yes, I, I do believe that is a part of our, um, uh, our DNA that we should be giving back to the communities where we uh, live and work. Uh, so we have at Woodward, for example, a community service requirement for our students uh, where we expect them to be engaged in service to the area uh, around us. We have several strong relationships with the Boys and Girls Club, local public schools where our students go and mentor students, um, as well as uh, the Habitat for Humanity here in Atlanta that builds homes for families that can't afford them outright. Uh, so there are ample opportunities for our students to understand the kind of privilege that they uh, experience and uh, how they can make a difference for others who aren't as fortunate. And so that is definitely a part of our, our commitment. Do you think that um, independent school heads and leaders such as yourself should be you know, being more vocal about values and educational models and pushing the greater good of education? Because, you know, you have a real statewide and national profile as a leader. You're passionate about education. You're passionate about the moral values, the virtues, the character side. Do you, does this highlight this symbiotic relationship between you as head of school and also Woodward? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that we have an obligation to be speaking out on these things. Uh, and I think that the community expects us to uh, demonstrate to it uh, why we are worthy of um, where we live and what we're doing to make a difference for our community. So it would be very unusual uh, for me to be making a presentation about Woodward outside of Woodward uh, to in, in any community setting without me speaking to Woodward's commitments to the local community and what we're trying to make a difference for the local area that not only make a difference for the local area, but are also impacting our students uh, in that experience as well. Um, what skills and attributes do you take from your other leadership positions, such as chairman of the board for the Atlanta Aerotropolis Alliance, back to Woodward and, and vice versa? Yeah, so um, one of the things that uh, has been important for me in my role at Woodward is to uh, be as engaged in the community as I possibly can. And uh, one of the reasons for that is that uh, not only do we need to serve the community, but we need students from the community to attend our school. Um, and so uh, by being visible and in the local community and leadership roles, it's a way of being able to continue telling the Woodward story, uh, recruit support for the school, either through students or financial support, um, as well as uh, make certain that what is happening in the surrounding area 
is providing a great environment for us to continue to operate for another 120 years. And so in my work with the Atlanta Aerotropolis Alliance, um, it has been a, a real gift to um, be able to promote Woodward through that venue to a number of businesses and uh, community leaders that some of whom didn't know a whole lot about Woodward previously, but in turn for me to bring back to Woodward a lot of what I'm learning about is happening in the local community where there is some need that exists where we might make a difference and, and focus our energies uh, as well as uh, some things that we might think about in terms of the curriculum that we could do uh, to help inform our students more about the area. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.